second movie because we're not doing this in order but we thought that i think it I is think it is her second oh, movie this I, is her second movie this is her first real role i thought that you chose this one because it was the first time that she was taken seriously in a movie no we're not even close to there yet okay good because yeah. <laughs> i was gonna have some questions about she, that reception she did have a meteoric arc though when she started off with, with 10 seconds of on-screen time to being one of the main characters in a movie in the span of one movie that's like, true. That's true. Again, yeah. One year apart. I mean, and there's a lot of star power in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man. This movie is full of we, faces. We've got Terry Hatcher. Ooh. Mm-hmm. We've got one of the guys from 30-something. We've got the guy from The Mask. And the guy from Leon. Wait, are we? Who are we talking about? Okay, so, <laughs> so the like very 90s specific style attractive ginger is the dude in the mask. In oh, the not movie. the mask. Oh, in mask. Mask. Yeah, not oh, Jim boy. Carrey. That is super different. <laughs> <laughs> she means Eric Stoltz. I do mean yes. Eric Stoltz. And who did you mean? I meant Danny Aiello. Oh, I can't remember him being in... He was Leon's handler in the movie Leon. Oh. Also known as the professional, depending on where you were when it was released. <laughs> right. Uh, but he actually is an Oscar-nominated actor. He was nominated for Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Oh. And, as we'll discuss in a bit, an Emmy winner. Oh. So let's let's get there in due time. <laughs> <clears throat> this was my first time watching the movie. Mine too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Couple things. So my dad and I watched movies together all the time. And we'd go to Blockbuster and we'd rent a movie. But this movie, he rented and wouldn't let me watch because it was too adult, which was very not normal. I watched a lot of age-inappropriate stuff when I was a kid. However, I also thought that this movie was U-Turn, starring Sean Penn. (laughs) Like, when Sean Penn's name did not appear in the credits, and Oliver Stone's name did not appear in the credits, I was like, oh, this is a different movie. (laughs) So maybe my dad wouldn't let me watch U-Turn. I've never seen that one. Okay. Well, I had never seen it, but in my, obviously, faulty memory, I had thought... Two things. One, that we were watching this movie because it was uh, her, like, breakout role, which apparently it is not. Two, that you loved this movie. And so we watched the trailer, and I was like, I just wonder what this is about. And the trailer is painful. Like, it's super weird and hokey, and I was kind of like, what are we signing 
I wonder what movie you thought it was. I, like, I think it was just, like, based on a conversation that we had, but, like, the trailer was such a classic, like, here's a thing, and another thing, and font on the screen, and it was just really weird, and I was kind of like, I think the movie is better than the trailer made it out to be. Okay. Oh, definitely, yeah. I thought, I, I, my preconception of this movie came entirely from the title, and I, for some reason I thought it was, like, some bleak romance or tragic character driven thing uh and then i saw the trailer and was completely uh, all of my expectations were completely shattered and i then had no idea what to expect okay essentially this movie is from the mid-90s cottage industry of pulp fiction ripoffs yes Mm. this movie wants so badly to be pulp fiction uh, so it is like Pulp Fiction or like Shortcuts, which is another yes. L.A. said movie by Robert Altman, where there are multiple interwoven threads of plot. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I, like, at some point, like three quarters away through the movie, I think I turned to Bob and I was like, what kind of movie is this? Like, what style <laughs> are they going for? I think neo-noir pseudo-comedy is the correct genre. Yes, for that's, that's where it is in the Library of Congress. <laughs> Definitely, yes. So I'm going to attempt to summarize the plot of this with help from Regina and Bob. So the first thread of story is James Spader. What treasure? To quote Buffy, he needs to call me. Uh, <laughs> so I described James Spader on watching this movie as, you know, the guy with the really narrow palette. Is that what I said? Yep, you call him Tiny Palette. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Tiny Palette. And Bob was like, what are you talking about? Like, he doesn't taste food well? <laughs> no, no. When he opens his mouth, you're very surprised by how quickly his front teeth turn into side teeth. Like, the amount of space that his teeth take up in his mouth is very <laughs> tiny. Okay. Yeah, she thinks um, that his teeth are like a flock of, like, migrating geese. He basically has two front teeth and then side teeth. So he seems to be existing in a different movie than everyone else. That He, he does not know this movie is a comedy. I feel like that is James Spader in every movie I've ever seen him in. He's like, oh, are you doing this? I'm doing me very well. That's possible. That was not a good impression. I think he was great in this. I thought so, too, but he he's creepy as hell. Yep. The but, thing I've most recently seen him in is the terrible, terrible TV show Blacklist. So I was like, oh, it's just the same exact thing. Okay. I've never seen that show. Don't watch it. it. It's a vehicle for James Spader to be James Spader. Okay. Yeah. Which, like, the world deserves, but I just wish that it were better. Anyway. Quote my dad, again, about the movie Jack's Back, which is a weird movie where James Spader plays himself and his twin, through which he <laughs> is channeling Jack the Ripper, I think. He said, it's James Spader at the peak of his Spaderosity. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So James Spader is a hitman, and he is hanging out with Danny Aiello, mm-hmm. and they go to Terry Hatcher's house and murder the guy from 30-something in her bed. Her ex-husband. Correct. Who, like, they weirdly take the time to show you him almost ex-spousal raping her. Oh, that's right. That was a weird start. Yeah, maybe it's so you don't feel so bad yeah. about him dying. Oh, it's like when... uh the orderly licks Sarah Connor's face so that when she breaks his face with a broom handle, you're not like, what the hell? You're like, yeah, fuck that guy. Exactly. Okay. So, and then James Spader attempts to kill Danny Aiello as a way to take all the money for himself. And that's when good old Charlize shows up. The first time we see her is sprawled out naked in in a a photograph photograph with blood on her when James Spader's like, did you touch her? Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
I totally forgot about that part. Probably because you get to see her boobies again later. So much. Yeah. So the second thread is about a suicidal, washed-up TV movie director. Yep. Wonder where he got that idea. (laughs) I found him to be the most charming. He was pretty charming. The character's name is Teddy Peppers. There's a lot of questionable character names in this movie. (laughs) Like, no one's character name is memorable whatsoever. Apart from Danny Aiello's. Dosmo Pizzo. I didn't know his second name. Yeah. But his first name was repeated multiple times. Dosmo. Uh, and Helga, uh, which is our girl. Helga Spelgen, okay. I think. <laughs> yeah, I They, think they you're right. laid it on real thick. <laughs> so, the suicidal director. So, one thing that drives me crazy, which is why I brought up Danny Aiello's Daytime Emmy, is that the suicidal director looks at his Emmy. He uses the, the Emmy as a toilet roll holder. That's right. He Emma looks t- at it, and then he drops it in a bucket and like pulls toilet paper off of the wings. Arms? Yeah, or whatever it has. It has wings and arms. The arms yeah. are holding up the globe and the wings are behind the it. The wings. It's the wings, yeah. Okay, so look, it does not look like an Emmy. It looks like the kind of thing that you order from like a party <laughs> supply store to give to your employees. It looks like an Emmy that someone's kid made in shop class. Correct. Yeah. And it drives me crazy because someone involved in the production has an Emmy. <laughs> Danny Aiello won an Emmy in 1981 for the after-school special, A Family of Strangers. I went and looked up everyone on IMDb until I found someone with an Emmy. It didn't take that long. (laughs) (laughs) So that makes me very upset. Bad attention to prop detail. Yeah. So Marsha Mason, who I only know because of the Goodbye Girl, but I think she was like a stage actress. Who is she? She drives up and rescues him from killing himself. Oh, okay. Because he wants someone to take his dog. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's our third thread, which is about some British guy who's an art dealer and is awful Mm -hmm. and inexplicably has a kidney stone. Also, this movie has very clear definitions of who you're supposed to root for and who you're not supposed to like, and you are not supposed to like this art dealer. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite parts of the movie, because this movie has a couple of just completely random scenes that go nowhere and have nothing to do with anything. And this is one of them where he has a random kidney stone while driving. He's got a flat tire. He has a random kidney stone as well, so it has to stop. Then is thrown in the back of a convertible by a large black gay guy who then takes him to hostel in a stolen car and is never seen again. It's true. And the club that they were in front of was called Buckskin, and they took time to show you the license plate was Ride Me? Yep. I think on the car that was stolen. So it was like, in case you guys weren't picking up what they were laying down. But it never connects to anything else in the rest of the movie. The, the person he steals the car from has more lines of dialogue than the person who rescues the guy and takes him to hospital. It's true. Which is an odd choice, I think. So this is where they start interweaving, because uh, Marsha Mason takes Teddy Peppers to the art dealer's house, because I think they're brother and sister. Like half-siblings or something? Sure, and she's going to make him take the dog. There's the yeah. third thread, though. I thought that was the third thread. The We haven't talked about the cops yet. Oh, that's right. That's thread how the movie... Four. Thread four is Eric Stoltz and Jeff Daniels are cops. And Eric Stoltz is young and naive. And Jeff Daniels is grizzled and racist. Yep. But also, hasn't Eric Stoltz been on the force for a decade already? 
Did they yep. say that? Because he was like, I've been on all these different oh, things. That's it's right. not murder. Yeah. So that's he like true. through a decade has managed to keep a gleam in his eye and an, like, a, I don't know. Well, I think it's probably easier to keep a gleam in your eye when you're not dealing with murders. But it's a decade of disappointment where he's not doing mm. what he really wanted. So they start with him in a massage parlor and you see his, you don't actually, there's no full on nudity, but he has a giant boner. Yeah, there's and a it, towel boner. It's, and it's <laughs> stupidly big. It like comes up to his nipples. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. And it, it was hopefully written into Eric Stoltz's contract, give me a giant wang. Yeah, and he's like, I'll tell you when to stop stuffing. And it's meant to be a sting but the massage therapist does not give him a hand job. And then Jeff Daniels is furious. Yeah, for like inexplicable reasons. He's yeah. just erratically angry he and racist. Very, he has very, very thin motivation for See, his anger. I kept waiting for us to find out that he had loved an Asian woman who left him, and that was going to justify why he said all those horrible racist things at the beginning. They didn't go there. They, his character is really inconsequential. Yep. So that's the scene that made me the angriest. So, like, angry Jeff Daniels gets to his house, and he's like, ah, golf ball! And he, like, throws it. And then immediately, someone manages to hit a golf ball completely sideways on the golf course and shatter a giant window in his house. And then he runs across, and he, like, aims a gun, and he just intimidates him with a gun, and then he's like, nah, you're a joke. And then walks back to his yeah. house. He calls him a hack. Yes! What? Is the, Was the guy a famous journalist or something? I don't understand. I, I don't know if that was like a cameo that I didn't get, but it was weird, and I didn't understand why. Like, it, I was like, well, it wasn't hilarious that his window broke, and he was just so mad. And I think, and then it segues into him having like, like a sad pan across photos of a son that obviously doesn't live with him anymore. Right. And then they wanted to make sure you got that by he signed it like, happy birthday from your first dad. Oh, yeah. And then there was a close-up of a letter that was like, because you're so erratic, you're off the force. And that's the last you see of his character. So he's racist, and then he does like some consequential stuff, and then he yells at a stranger across the golf course and is like, oh, I'm not yeah. a cop anymore. Yeah, Jeff Dennis has those two random scenes back-to-back. Yes. And then never seen again. <laughs> it's really weird. I completely forgot about the second scene. Although yeah. I do remember now that when he like came into his house, I just thought about his fate in speed. Yeah. <laughs> so they start interweaving because Danny Aiello ends up at the rich art guy's house also. So because why? Why is he there? So he goes that he escapes from the explosion because... After uh, James Spader James, tries to kill him. James Spader shoots him in the car and then tries to blow him up. But he's so busy necking with Charlie's Theron that he doesn't see Danny Aiello escape. And neither That's do, believable. Neither do we. So like, you know, it's not like we see Danny Aiello be clever and get out of the car while James Spader's not paying attention. Right. He's just necking with uh, Charlie's Theron, as you do. And then the car blows up in a spectacular explosion and the next thing you see is Dana Ale just rolling down a hill. Right. No clue whether he was thrown clear from the car by the explosion or if he cleverly escaped and snuck away. Him rolling down the hill led to one of the things, because I felt like there were elements of this movie that I was surprised. I was like, oh, this is a very specific feeling of datedness. Uh, and it led to toupee jokes, a thing that I did not realize I associate with a specific era of film, but apparently I do, because <laughs> as soon as that toupee joke happened, I was like, oh, haven't had one of those jokes in a long time. Right. <laughs> so he's there, 
the art dealer's uh, assistant, played by Glenn Headley, who I love. I really recognize her. I've never seen or heard of her in anything before. She's in Dick Tracy. I've not seen Dick okay, Tracy. Okay, she was also on ER for a while. She's just a delight. I adore her. And she is at the top of her game in this movie. Uh-huh. But she goes, like, full Italian <laughs> and imprints on Danny Aiello's character. Mm-hmm. That was another thing. I was like, it's weirdly dated the way they're being like specifically mean to Italians. They're like, oh, you eat pizza and special vegetables. Gross. And let's just casually assume that every one of you is a mobster. And I like that felt very 90s to me. But those are on the side of characters we're meant to root for. Yes. And then we get some more Charlie's action. Naked Charlie's action. Yeah, then you see James Spader and... Charlie's Theron, like, bone, pretty seriously. It's sex position. Yeah. Which is yes. a term that comes from Game of Thrones, or discussion of Game of Thrones. I wrote down the person who coined it. It's Miles McNutt. Yeah. So Appropriate. They, right. They're explaining their plot. They're, like, recapping the plot and revealing right. certain things to us while they bang and Charlize's tits are out. Yeah, also, like, there's just a straight crotch shot, like, immediately. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like Margot Robbie in Wolf of Wall Street. I did not see that. It's the same position. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Also, James Spader puts a handful of ice on his penis. That was weird. I forgot about that. It's yeah, like he, like, weird. is starting to make out with her, and then he gets mad because he thinks she might have made out with someone else, so he goes to an ice bucket and just throws a fistful of ice down his pants, awkwardly, Yeah, and then puts some ice in his mouth and then uh, brings the ice to her boob. Right. He thought that she fucked the murder victim. That he had set her up to go. And then we find out that they he killed him because he was jealous I mean, sooner than he, they had planned. Correct. He killed him... Because he was hired to, but he didn't do it according to the original plan because he was jealous. Yes. And then we find out that Terry Hatcher hired him. Oh, shit. What? What a twist. Well, because we see her all bloody and in her underwear being very upset that he's dead in her bed, which she did not expect. Uh, And she runs out screaming. And is stopped by our cop friends. So we've got another tangled thread. And then when she leaves, she's like, oh, my girlfriend's here to pick me up. And the girlfriend in the car is Charlize. And I'm sure other things happen, but really the next thing that sticks in my memory is Terry Hatcher and Charlize Theron beating each other up. Yes. The scoreness is very good because it kind of, like, rises to crescendo, like, as they're, like, getting on each other's nerves. And then it starts doing its full-on, like, chorus whatever beat pop thing while they actually fight and the stunt ladies really earn their money on that fight scene it's a good fight scene it's pretty good yeah and it's not it doesn't play the games that conventional cat fight would right i don't there is a high heel kick to the stomach for both of them is true yeah but it's basically them like full-on grappling it starts with like a like a punch to the face not a slap correct there's no thrown drinks also, right. that like some uh, Terry Hatcher puts a glass vase to her head. Yeah, there's a, yeah, it's yeah. definitely not not violent. And then a gun comes out, and Terry Hatcher shoots Charlize and ruins her beautiful white cat suit. Yeah, you can tell that she's been shot. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a nice white cat suit. <laughs> 
It fits her so well. She only wears white the whole movie. She does. I put that in my notes. Except for (laughs) she is not a character we're meant to root for. And I think we're not meant to root for her because the first time we see her, her boobs are out. She's also a bad guy. Yeah, but so is Terry Hatcher. (laughs) And Terry Hatcher gets away with everything. You're right. And also, I'm something like, so to cut to the end of the movie, a bunch of people die at Terry Hatcher's house. And then we see her getting a a truck and be like, I'm going to go to Nagano and compete in the Olympics again. And I'm like... Multiple cops were killed in your home shortly after your husband was killed in your home. And they're like, nah, she's pretty though. She'll be fine. She's an (laughs) Olympic skier who's only ever come in fourth. So at at the melee at at her house, it's unclear to me how everyone got there. So I was thinking this too, because it makes sense for James Spare to be there. Yes. He drives. It makes sense for Eric Stoltz to ride there because he was curious and he also drove Charlize Theron shows up after being shot with no mechanism to arrive. And she was at the hotel that they were, their crime den hotel. Right. Maybe it's like right down the road. Right. It could, yeah, it could be within walking distance of the house. So James Seems Spader, unlikely. Spader makes two choices that I'm kind of like, so the money is in the house, which is why he has to go back for it. But the cops at night are exploring the crime scene, even though they would have already done that. And it's just two detectives. And he's like, no, I gotta go right now to get this money. And the only possible way I can get this money is to execute both of these detectives. But then Eric Stoltz walks in and he's like, I'm gonna have a conversation with this one. I'm not just gonna immediately shoot him. I just want to see why he's here. And I'm kind of like, I don't believe either of those things. Like, wait an extra hour to get your money after they leave. And I don't know, shoot Eric Stoltz immediately. And then everybody would have been fine. So I'm I'm okay with that part of the scene when he's, like, talking with Eric Stoltz and, like, kind of playing with him. Okay. Because I was like, okay, they're both basically, like, he killed the other two cops by, like, getting the drop on them. Like, he came up from behind them and, like, had them turn around and then shot them very quickly. But he managed to torture them with a kiss-kiss face? Yeah, but, like, he still, he still has the advantage. Whereas okay. he and Eric Stoltz are, like, meeting... I mean, not that he couldn't have engineered the situation to get Eric Stoltz to come upstairs unsuspecting, but I kind of like, I also like that it shows how clever and how confident James Spader's character is. What doesn't make any sense is after Charlize Theron shows up and Eric was like, what? He doesn't, and he has the gun pointed at the back of his head. Yes. And then when he turns around, he just knocks him out. Yeah, like, he just punches him. It doesn't does do the shooting. And I think he's not going to get shot because he was nice to the Japanese lady in the beginning. That's true. Yes, he's a sympathetic character. He's not a pervert, so he's going to be okay. So Charlize ends up on a couch, and she's dying, and James Spader is going to shoot her in the face. Because even reasons. Even though he loves her, he's like, "Ah, you're probably dying anyway, you're bleeding out, and you're a loose end, baby. I can't take you to a hospital, blah, blah, blah. So, like, maybe he's putting her out of her misery? Yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, she does... He's not wrong about her bleeding oh, out. Oh, she, she dies, so she's two for two. Yeah. Dead. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although this time they lingered lovingly on her face after she died. Yeah. yeah. And so she gets away from... He does not shoot her in the face. She gets away from him. But she runs out into the street and runs into the other people from the plot thread. Why are they there? So they are... I think they're just trying to leave the valley. And he had to have been close... Yeah, it has to be close because he would have blown the car up near where the murder was because they're trying to pin the murder on the guy who got blown up in the car. So they want them to be associated. And he only rolled down a hill to get to the art dealer. So, like, they're all neighbors. So, yeah, the geography makes kind of sense. What doesn't make sense, 
Danny Aiello then takes the car because he sees Charlize Theron die in the street, figures out it's the same girl from the photograph, Mm -hmm. and is then immediately suspicious that James Spader is nearby and he wants to get James Spader. So he then drives back to the house where the murder was, finds James Spader, and there's obviously the, the climactic shootout with him, James Spader, and the very hapless Eric Stoltz, who has no gun and is caught in between the two of them. And no cover. He's just like two feet from either of them, just laying on the ground, and either of them could shoot him, but but don't? No way, he gets shot in the leg a couple of times, I think. Oh, that's true, just once. he does. Yeah. But just the leg. And, yeah. and not even, like, the scary part of the leg, it's like his ankle. Yeah, like, James Spader <laughs> is definitely like, I want this guy to live. Yeah. Okay, I've got a theory for all this. What if James Spader is in love with Eric Stoltz? Could be. They've never met up until that point. What if it's, like, love at first sight? This could be that. Right? In the way that Glenn Headley fell in love with Danny Aiello right away. It could be. I mean, uh, he does demonstrate his plucky cunning of, like, unraveling the, the their secret plot. He has so. his precious little Michael J. Fox light baby face. <laughs> he was almost in Back to the Future. My favorite part of their dynamic was when Eric Saltz was like, I'm going to come upstairs to talk to you. And James Spader's like, I'm going to look at you with James Spader intensity. And he's like, I'll stay on the first floor. I'm very scared. <laughs> that was... Good acting. But yes, yeah, so the the best James Spader moment of this is when Charlie's Theron escapes from him and he is marching out of the house and like puts the gun in his mouth and takes the rubber gloves off his hand and he's just like marching, marching, marching to go get her. Like this it's just like a two second shot. Wow, that's James Spader in his prime. Yeah. Like he's Spader a very Rossi. scary hitman. He's very scary in this movie. Despite his very small mouth capacity. <laughs> he couldn't bite you. <laughs> but he can shoot you. <laughs> That's why he had the room for the gun in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with Charlie's dispatched, R.I.P. Helga, <laughs> it is time for Ebert or Mebert. <laughs> A new bit. We couldn't do this for Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest because you may be surprised to hear that Roger Ebert did not take the time to review that film. <laughs> Does not do direct video. Yes. But he did review this, and he gave it three stars. Nice. Out what? of how many? Four? Out of four, That's and it got good. two thumbs up. What is Ebert or Mebert? What Ebert or Mebert is, is that I have a quotation, and it is either a direct lift from Roger Ebert's review, which are all online at rogerebert.com, or I made it up in my best Ebert voice. <laughs> And so I'm going to read it, and then Regina and Bob have to guess which it is. Okay. Sounds good. Ready? Newcomer Charlie Theron plays his lover, a blonde as icy as her Norwegian homeland. That's got to be a Mebert. I'm going Ebert. It was a Mebert. Aha! The actual quotation is, his lover is the icy Norwegian blonde, Helga. What? She doesn't even get name credit? She does not get a name credit. She wasn't famous yet. Those eyebrows. (laughs) She still has her skinny 90s eyebrows. (laughs) They are so skinny and so perfectly, like, like little rainbows. (laughs) Little rainbows. And she's also got the very frosty makeup that was a thing in the mid-90s, late-90s, too. So she does look good, guys. I mean... Of course. She she is doing her part as eye candy in this film. Yeah. But as she's dying, she does sort of slip into a quote-unquote Norwegian accent. Yeah, she, or she starts speaking in Norwegian Okay, uh, when she's bleeding out, and yeah. the nurse is helping oh, her. Oh, that's what that's supposed to be. Yeah. 
All right. So this takes us to the most important question for every movie. Or no. Is it time for that? Do we have you have other things you want to say? So yeah, so I have a theory about the uh, the odd random scenes that happen with no consequence. I'm assuming that that is a, a link into the title of the movie because the title of the movie is very generic. Two days in the valley. Yes. So I think it's supposed it? to be like what was it? Two days. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was. I guess it was. No, it seemed like it was one day. It was one because it started off, off at nighttime and then ends the following and night. then at dusk. Yeah, so it's not even accurate. I interpreted it as. They murder the guy at, like, let's say 9 p.m. on one day, <laughs> and then it ends the next day. I guess, does it start with the murdering, or does it start with the boner? I thought it started at the no, massage No, you're right. Parlor. It starts with the boner, yeah. So it's, okay, so boner to dusk, murder. And then I guess... Daytime to dusk. But I'm still like, it is not 48 hours. Like, I'll give you 30 Okay. But then, yeah, the last scenes are them, like, and this is what happened afterwards... The nurse and the movie director have a dog together. Terry Hatcher, going to Nagano. Yeah, and yeah, so it's like the wrap-up scene. So maybe that's the final hours of the two days. But I'm like, the random scenes that happen are like, all this and more can happen in two days in the valley, because the valley is such a weird place. I think is supposed to be what it's about. Yeah, But I'm like, still. Maybe we don't understand because we don't live in Southern California. Yeah. I think so. We live on the eastern side of the country. Yeah. We don't know. See, I just wanted to say that I actually thought this was a pretty solid movie. <laughs> I actually thought it was very satisfying. It ended on a fun note. Uh, it didn't end or begin with clip art like Children of the Corn 3 did. It yeah, a significant step up. High bar. <laughs> yes. It, <laughs> it did have the uh, fucked up typewriter font that everything in the 90s had for the title, but... The, the ending title credits were so adorable. They were bright green with a really strong, like, black almost shadow line next to them. And it just looked super dated and adorable. And they did the thing which I love when movies do, where they're like, here's the cast. And you have, like, three seconds of the cast, like, getting into a pose from a scene. And then their name pops up and they freeze. Like, it's a TV show. I yeah. think that, like, just, what is it, like, The Wonder Years that does that? Or Facts of Life, where it's like, I'm moving, and then I'm stopping, and here's my name. I a love lot. that. Okay, so... Guys. Guys. So who would Keanu Reeves play in this movie? Very important question. Bob, I think you had a good breakdown. So my only note on this subject was that era-appropriate Keanu Reeves would replace Eric Stoltz. That was my thought, too. And today's Keanu Reeves would replace Jeff Daniels. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. You're so right. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. I could imagine a grizzled 50-something-year-old Keanu Reeves yelling at Eric Stoltz for moving a cigarette packet. Um, if you want to see Keanu Reeves playing that kind of role, and you will in the the sequel (laughs) podcast. (laughs) We're already planning. (laughs) On our second episode of this podcast, we know where our next one's going. Uh, He basically plays that role in The Neon Demon. Oh, I didn't oh know there's he was another in one where he's a grizzled cop coming out. That's not the Neon Demon. He's not a cop in the Neon Demon, but he's grizzled and racist. Oh. Okay. And creepy. Maybe he's more maybe he's more of a sexual predator than he is racist. I can't remember. How would any of those words be attached to it, Keanu Reeves? It was very <laughs> strange casting. That makes sense. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, okay. Um I'm trying to think if I feel like if there's anyone else in the movie that I would want Keanu or that I think Keanu should play. 
I mean, what would it be like if he played the art dealer? That's out of his range. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Although I gotta so say, the actor who played the art dealer was not great. And I looked him up. This was like one of his last credits. Yeah. I gotta say, I, not many people were great in this. Even Charlize was kind of... Oh, she's rough. Uh, what if Keanu had been cast as Terry Hatcher? And he had uh, his wife killed. You do. I, yeah, that would And work. Charlize had an affair with the wife. I could get down with that. And then they, I would not want to see the two of them fighting, though. I just want to see them, like, having coffee and being pals. But <laughs> I would want to see them fighting. <laughs> <laughs> it might not have been as fun a fight. That is true. I, yeah. I think ultimately, like, the watch. answer is Eric Stoltz. Like, that is it's who Keanu just, would be. I mean, that's what I have written in my notes. That's just clearly true. But Bob <laughs> took it to another level. I also am, like, no offense to Eric Stoltz, but I think I just would have, I mean, obviously I would enjoy any movie that has Keanu Reeves in it more than movies that don't have him in it. But I think it would have been better. Okay, would uh, Back to the Future be better with Keanu Reeves if he had replaced Whoa. Eric Stoltz instead of Michael J. Fox replacing Eric Stoltz? I'm lost. <laughs> I mean, I, I would not want to change anything about Back to the Future, but like I would enjoy if Keanu Reeves was like, oh, I'm doing soft serve in the background. Or like if he'd been like playing guitar in one of the bands. Like I don't want to take anything from Michael J. Fox or from... I was going to call him Andrew Lloyd Webber. Wait, what? <laughs> Who's the guy who plays the other crazy hair and I'm mad? Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Though <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should have a who would Andrew Lloyd Webber play... <laughs> He would, he would play, play Danny Elfman. <laughs> what? Because he would just steal music and Danny Elfman does all the music for movies. See, I thought you were saying he'd play Danny Aiello. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I thought we were just going to replace all actors' names with similar composers. <laughs> I don't really know what Andrew Lloyd Webber is like, but it would be fun to imagine which character would the Phantom of the Opera play. <laughs> So and that I, would be James Spader, guys. That would be James Spader in that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that Andrew Lloyd Webber, the person, would have played the art dealer. Oh, I think yeah. he would have played the suicidal Emmy toilet paper dude. Okay. Quick note about using your Emmy to hold your toilet paper. Emma Thompson keeps her Oscar in the loo, as she says. Because she won her Oscar in, like, 93, so I'm curious if hmm. this uh, director knew that. Oh, maybe. maybe. Yeah. I wonder if it's, like, a thing that people know about each other. Like, oh, like, Emma Thompson keeps her Oscar here, and uh, Denzel Washington keeps his Oscar here. Like, he's got two. He does. He should have had three. Like, I wonder if that's, like, a fun party conversation that award-winning actors have. That sounds like the most obnoxious and wonderful conversation ever. <laughs> yeah, they're like, how's your curio cabinet? Oh, it's beautiful. Do you think Meryl Streep just has, like, those upside-down wine glass brackets that she just holds them all upside-down in? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Maybe she has them like modified so she can serve wine in them. And be like, oh, I have enough for everyone at the, my twelve-person dinner party. Yeah, when one of her kids gets married, they're just going to go out as party favors to all the guests. <laughs> she only has three Oscars, guys. <laughs> She's got twenty nominations, but I'm sure she has a million Golden Globes, etc. Oh yeah. All right. So I guess our final order of business is to rank this among all the films that we've watched all the two films that we It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Yep. I think we can get through this, though. I I mean, maybe. Is Children of the Corn 3 going to pull out and stay at the top of any of our rankings? So We all have our own rankings, so like we're not influenced by each other. I was going to say that this movie does not have a monster in it, but it does have James Spader, and he pretty much counts. Yes, he's a monster in this film. He is indeed. I gotta say, this is now my number one. 
What's your number two? Children of the Corn 3. The second best Charlize Theron movie. Yes. So I'm going to say for me, my number one Charlize Theron movie is Two Days in the Valley. And my number two is Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Uh, I am... Uh, not going to buck the trend here, so uh, this is definitely uh, my favourite of the two Charlize Theron movies that we've seen. Uh, so my list definitely goes Two Days in the Valley, and then Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, both beginning and ending with clip art scythes, scraping names away. This does not have that. So... This feature, we promise, will get more interesting as we have more episodes <laughs> under our belt. Yes. Also, we won't necessarily... Li- like By the time we've seen, like, 15, we won't read all 15. Oh, we'll goodness. just, like, slice it in and be like, like this is 14, 13, and t- or, like, 1, 2, yeah. and 3. Right. And I'm, I'm putting the astronaut's wife in between the devil's advocate and yeah. children of the corn 3. Hey, we don't have to explain it. You'll just stick around and find out. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you, Charlies. Yes, uh, or lethal weapon. Lethal what? Sort of in that vein. You're under. <laughs> Sorry. This is our special guest. <laughs> our squeaky door. Our door is like a murder door. Like yeah, every time it's... you come in, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're home. Yeah.